Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It's Monday, out of the gate during earnings season. Earnings season, we have Tesla. I'm not even ready for it. I can't even talk. We have Tesla out of the gate. The most exciting earnings of the week. We have Apple. We have Microsoft. We have Amazon reporting earnings all this week. But uh, we got something special here. Uh, unfortunately, I think Tesla stock is down, um, down almost two percent. And I wanted to share my screen for most of this uh, this session. But yeah, so Tesla just reported its earnings for Q1 of 2021, so this year, and the stock is down 2%, and it was down even more before. But kind of diving into this thing, I have something very special for you. I uh, have gotten my hands on some uh, a uh, research report for you, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna reveal whose, but this is a big investment bank's research reports. And so this is, uh, I just wanted to kind of show you and, and kind of tee up what we're going to hear and go through in the in their filing, um, you know, what Wall Street was expecting. So this bank was forecasting revenue and earnings per share of $10.3 billion uh, or and 83 cents earnings per share, EPS, so net income per share, versus consensus, which is like Wall Street average uh, of $10.3 billion or 77 cents in uh, EPS. So this investment bank is slightly more bullish than the than the rest of Wall Street in terms of forecasting Q1 2021 uh, net income. And uh, they believe it's going to be underpinned by auto automotive gross margins, which is basically the direct uh, profitability of selling a per, per car um, of 21.5% X uh, regulatory credits. And then for the full year, they're forecasting 900,000 in total deliveries, uh, leading to just under 53 billion in sales and $5.50 of EPS, well above consensus of 49.5 billion and $4.38. So this investment bank is generally just uh, predicting um, higher profits and higher scaling of profit margins for Tesla for 2021 than the rest of Wall Street, around the same for revenue. I think uh, most analysts can do the math of if they can hit 900,000 in total deliveries, then uh, you know what will revenue be? But I think the big question is with the widespread semiconductor shortage and widespread increasing uh, pricing on raw inputs around the world, uh, what is profitability going to be? So here we have, you know, this bank thinking that profitability is still going to be really good. Tesla is slated to launch its full self-driving uh, subscription service soon, which should boost utilization of ADAS features. Uh, they maintain a $900 price target on Tesla stock um, based on these kind of what I think is wild multiples, but we've done a discounted cash flow analysis on at sense at a couple cents.com on our DCF calculator, which I'll show later in the stream. Um, of 60 times 2025 EPS and 20 times 2023 enterprise value to sales discounted back. So very back of the envelope, right? So, but I think the interesting thing here is that we're finally seeing, uh, you know, bullish Wall Street, probably pretty much across the board. So again, we've been big fans of Tesla. I've been big fans of Tesla for a decade, um, you know, I remember doing a case study in college with Tesla versus Fisker, and that might have predated, I'm not really sure, predated Elon's even uh, kind of uh, role at the company. But finally, a decade later, you see all, all of Wall Street really following. So 
I think that's funny. But, uh, you know, the stock's down. So clearly the market isn't too happy with the stock. I think this is partially what happens when you get a, a ownership base that is usually very optimistic, right? So, uh, but, you know, I'm still optimistic and, you know, maybe this is a spoiler warning. Let's go actually look at the details. I, I highlighted some for you. Um, widen this out. Um, okay, so let's compare it against, oh yeah, just to show you what, you know, this is another earnings portal uh, from Centio that I, I pulled. You know, just under 10.3 billion is the revenue estimate. This is consensus, so the average of Wall Street. 79 cents diluted EPS. So this other bank had 83 cents, so all around 80, 80 cents. And, um, you know, EBITDA of 17.90, so $1.8 billion. Uh, so that's that's kind of just tracking to what Wall Street was expecting. And then, of course, there's something different between what Wall Street was expecting and what all of us and Tesla shareholders really expect too. So there's probably a difference between those two uh, shareholder base, the institutions and the 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 owner and shareholders and normal people like you and me. So here, okay. So what we what we see here is they slightly beat, but basically uh, matched total revenues, ten point three nine billion dollars in revenue for the quarter. Um, we see that uh, they had twenty one percent total gross margins, but as it compares to uh, kind of the automotive gross margin X credits, I did the math for you and, and backed this uh, regulatory credits out. They they showed 22, almost on the dot, 22% gross margins without the regulatory credits. That's pretty strong margins. They're profitable. And that's a slight beat on what this investment bank thought. And uh, kind of keep uh, going down the list. They posted 93 cents in non-GAAP uh, diluted EPS, which is, you know, quite a bit higher than 83 cents or 79 cents of what we saw and expected. Uh, you know, that represented uh, year over year. So from quarter one of 2020, uh, a 74% increase year over year. That's that's big, right? Uh, the one thing to track was that this was a weaker quarter uh, than it could have been because they basically didn't deliver or produce, or they didn't produce Model S's or Model X's. I don't know if you guys uh, and, and gals uh, remember this, but they're in the middle of this big refresh with the Model S and the X, right? So the new refresh with the S and the X, like the whole uh, yoke steering wheel type of thing, right? They're, they're really, um, I mean, there are multiple videos covering the refresh and they're still kind of uh, going through the transition. And it seems like it's taking a lot longer than they thought. Um, and yeah, so, and George is asking on the chat, I thought you're not a Tesla shareholder. So yeah, we have been for a long time. We sold it off on the big board, um, possibly maybe uh, looking for a good entry point. Possibly, uh, possibly, um, yeah, uh, looking for a good uh, entry point. Thanks for being here. This is fun. This is super fun. This is the first Tesla earnings that I've ever done. This is off the wing, and I, I highlighted some uh, some things for you. So lower ASP China-made vehicles, so they sold more China-made vehicles, became a larger percentage of their mix, and China-made vehicles sell for less, and um, that's going to kind of uh, lower the average selling price of a Tesla around the world. Um, and other things that I highlighted is, obviously, we all know that they bought Bitcoin, uh, and Bitcoin's gone up since they bought it. So that's been a positive impact, but you don't really incorporate that in the business unless they're going to meaningfully become a Bitcoin-oriented business. Um, you know, a lot of these positive growths, they sold more, 
uh, regulatory credit growth, um, gross margin improvement was offset by obviously the lower ASP. So they're not selling the premium ones in this quarter and more China vehicles, which are lower ASP, average selling price. Um, and the SNX changeover costs negatively impacted profits and R&D expenses. They needed to kind of reinvest in that, right? Um, and then so for the, uh, yeah, and then I just want to highlight, of course, they invested them in Bitcoin. Uh, let's see, page down. Here we see their deliveries, right? I think what folks are maybe seeing where they're uh, maybe not upset, just uh, maybe worried, right? It is if you kind of look at the headline production numbers, they're pretty flat quarter over quarter. They really haven't sold a bunch more. But I will say, right, they haven't produced you. Ha they they haven't produced any X's or X S's or X's because they're in the middle of a refresh that's taking longer than usual. So I would say pro forma going forward, shouldn't you add that back in? So we should maybe think about this as, you know, 196,000, yeah, 196 to 200,000 uh, long-term production going forward. Um, total deliveries, right? They saw good growth on the threes and the whys. Uh, and the deliveries, right? They didn't deliver as many S's or X's because I'm in the market for an X pretty soon here. And I will tell you, like, I didn't, I'm not buying right now because I'm, I'm wondering whether or not they're going to refresh this, this lineup. Um, so, uh, yeah, so they're obviously not delivering a lot. Maybe they're delivering some in the quarter from last quarter. And, um, yeah, so I think that might be an issue or what the market may not like. And I'm struggling to find what the market doesn't or really doesn't like. Uh, just some updates. I know we're eight minutes from when the call starts. Um, you know, the Fremont, in Fremont, the Model Y production continued to ramp successfully and is approaching full capacity. Uh, I hope, hopefully my quality is good enough so you guys can read it. In Texas, the factory build-out continues to progress quickly, uh, remaining on track to start production and deliveries late this year. Uh, Model Y ramp in Shanghai is progressing well. We expect that our Shanghai factory will continue to increase quarterly production output throughout the year. In Europe, build-out of Gigafactory Berlin is continuing to move forward with production and deliveries remaining on track for late 2021. So, and this is a nice table to see, right? Just um, installed capacity. They have the capacity to produce, you know, well uh, over a million cars per year or yeah, automobiles per year, and they're building even more Model Y capacity. I think as I see the Model Ys in parking lots in my in the real world, I didn't I I considered buying the Model 3, but it's just too small. Like the back seats were too cramped. Uh, the Model Y seems to be kind of a great middle ground in terms of a, a consumer-oriented product. And it's the reason why I think analysts are uh, more bull are bullish on the Model Y. Um, and then I'm eyeing the Cybertruck. I am very heavily considering putting in a pre-order for the Cybertruck. Um, we'll see. <laughs> it depends on, on how my family is going to structure our automobiles, but that's in development. We all know that's going to be uh, made in Austin, Texas and TBD. It does seem like the semi roadster and the semi and the roadster are still on hold and kind of in the back burner, if you will. Um, another cool thing is I just want to show you this chart, like, Regardless of the stock does today, this is a, a game-changing generational type of company. This is a company where, look at the Model 3, even with its flaws, it's tiny, the backseat's cramped, all that stuff. Uh, the Model 3 is, is now the highest selling 
a premium vehicle, I guess, if you want to consider it that. Against, I would say you can comp- probably compare it against the BMW 3 Series and the E-Class. I think the A6, I probably wouldn't compare it to the A6, but they can do that. Um, and, you know, energy. St- another thing I wanted to point out is this is uh, their, their deployments of, of energy storage in the power wall. It's back to where it was in 2018. This is a really good sign. And demand for the power wall continues to far exceed our production rate. I think that's really interesting. Something to dig into. Um, I'm not quite sure what the drivers are. Let's listen about that um, on the live stream, uh, like on the uh, on the call live together and react in, in real time. Uh, but I think this is a really good sign, right? And they're only uh, doing power wall deliveries to solar customers only. Okay, we are five minutes out. I should, we'll we'll finish this up and let let the people that actually matter speak. Um, Volume, 50% annual growth. So this is their outlook. This is something that everybody's looking at mostly. It's the future, what their outlook is for 2021. They expect over a multi-year horizon, 50% annual average growth in vehicle deliveries. In some years, we may grow faster, which we expect to be the case in 2021. So they do expect, so if they only did 50% growth in vehicle deliveries, that would imply 750,000 deliveries in 2021. They expect... Uh, faster growth in deliveries in 2021. And we see Wall Street, and I saw someone on CNBC this morning projecting 900,000 total deliveries. Now, they've probably done a lot of work calling up people and really like projecting this stuff out. So, you know, 900 sounds great to me. And as, a, as someone who has a 10-year time horizon in terms of investment, you know, like I, I don't love really tracking to the exact numbers, like uh, like I know a lot of Tesla investors do because they a lot of people t- use options as leverage and stuff like that um, around earnings, but that's not me, but that could be you. Um, you know, what does we expect to grow faster than 50%, right? There's a big gap between 750,000 deliveries, which is 50% growth, and 900,000 or a million deliveries. Let's hear what Elon has to say. Um and uh, we are currently building Model Y capacity at Gigafactory Berlin and Gigafactory Texas and remain on track to start production deliveries from each location in 2021. Gigafactory Shanghai will continue to expand further over time. Semi Tesla semi deliveries will also begin in 2021. That's interesting. Semi deliveries. Okay. So that's okay. Uh, Matthew, thanks so much for the question. You're asking uh, your new Roke community, uh, community member. Uh, where do you get access to the uh, members-only stream? So if you go to the website and go under videos, you can. Uh, the schedule is there. Um, for those of you that don't know, we also just provide so much more investing content and value at uh, a couplecents.com. So all you got to do is, if you're a member and you can log in, go to the videos, and we have the schedule of our, our streams and everything, and then premium videos are here with the replays. So you can you can click on that. Um, and yeah, and the deposit for the Cybertruck is 100 bucks. There's zero reason not to get your name on the list if you're remotely going to want one within the next two years. I agree, Jim. You might just convince me. I think I want to live stream it, though. I wonder if I can put down a, a Cybertruck reservation with Bitcoin. Who knows? Um, cool. So, I mean, we can let's take a scroll, right? This is beautiful pictures. We got three minutes till, till this call starts. They probably won't start on time, but... Uh, I mean, I like to joke around about uh, companies. You know, you know, like the chart goes up, so it's good, right? <laughs> At the end of the day, that's really what we're looking for. Charts that go up. Um, as, a, as a one-time investment banker that, whose part of his job was to uh, make the charts look as pretty and as steep as possible, um, 
I like to joke about that kind of stuff. So cool. Awesome. So kind of going back to the valuation for the, you know, almost 600 people on this, uh, on the stream, uh, the valuation is getting better. It's getting better. And so, uh, you know, EV to gross profit, you know, it's kind of hard to value this, uh, to value Tesla on a, a multiples basis. Because what multiple basis, what multiples really do are back of the envelope estimations evaluation, especially as you compare companies against each other. But Tesla is the vanguard of the industry. They are the king or the queen, whatever you want to call them, of EVs. They are now the best-selling luxury, you know, according to them, best-selling, it depends on how you define it, best-selling luxury car manufacturer. And, uh... You know, it's really hard. Like, so you see a bunch of big numbers and that's why I laugh, right? At the end of the day, these analysts like, you know, uh, right, do a DCF. Like, I don't know why they're doing a $900 price target based on 60 times 2025 EPS. Like, what does 60 times 2025 EPS really mean? I don't know, man. Like, at, th at, at that point, I go to our discounted cash flow model at a couple cents.com made for ROIC members uh, who support the content. And where they can value any stock they want using whatever assumptions they want. So I put in my assumptions. And these are what I would say relatively reasonable assumptions for a, a, what company that I think is a once in a generation. Um, something that's going to really change the landscape of not only EVs, but robo-taxis and energy storage. I truly believe that. I mean, I am a super fan. And um, yeah, I mean, like, uh, you know, I, I, have to, I have to update this. This is a, this is a month month old, but at the time we had about just under a thousand dollars per share as a share price. So, uh, that takes us to four Let's play the, um, the earnings earnings call. Pardon me. This is the operator. Today's conference is scheduled to begin shortly. Please continue to stand by and thank you for your patience. Can you guys hear the music? Give me a thumbs up if you uh, if you hear, hear the music. Is it a good volume? I can't really control it, so it doesn't matter. Times like this where I wish you could like change the camera and just dance for you guys. Pardon me, this is the operator. Today's conference will it's begin momentarily. Thank you for your patience and please continue to stand by. False alarm. False alarm, everybody. Yeah, I wish for the chat. I wish they played... Uh, what he don't doubt your vibe. I wish they played DJ Elon Musk's music. That would be even more meta, I think.
Okay. Do you think we can risk a don't doubt your vibe? Let's let's see. All right, I think the music is off. I just wanted to show you this. We're going to play Elon's song, if it even plays. Oh, my thing's on mute. All right, that's enough. Well, oh, they're still they're still playing this. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. Your conference call will begin momentarily. Thank you for your patience, and please continue to stand by. I'm telling you, they should really uh, they should play the Don't Doubt Your Vibe. And for those of you asking uh, whether Mortal Kombat was good, unfortunately, it was not that good. But unlike uh, Wonder Woman, it actually had a lot of action, right? I just don't think they, the movie was all that good. Um, I'm happy to ask, answer any questions from the chat while we just wait with this beautiful music. You can hear Justin's analysis in... In a classy concerto. hot dogs sandwiches I personally think hot dogs are sandwiches because in Italian American culture they eat sausage and pepper sandwiches and so I think like what do you guys think I think hot dogs are sandwiches that was a good question uh, best pizza pizza chain uh, that's a tough one probably probably Papa John's uh, Pop John's Domino's and Pizza Hut in that order. Yeah, we already had this debate a long time ago. Yeah, so It's a Boot uh, is asking any low-key stocks that uh, I love regardless of... Pardon me, this is the operator. Our conference will begin momentarily. Thank you for your patience. Please continue to stand by. I feel like she told us that a couple times. Um... So Fabian is at, oh wait so I just finish finishing the conversation there. Uh, uh, the, the chat's moving. Okay, basically any stocks that I just want to be in, no matter what. That's probably like uh, Amazon, right? Like their low twenties times forty EBITDA kind of thing. Like if it goes to, to thirty times an optimism or down like I just want to own Amazon like take over the world type of dominance I think Tesla was one until it really ran away from itself and ended up being pretty good for us at Rook um, 
What main qualitative factors do you analyze when saying if a growth stock is good long-term investment? Do you like the product? Do you believe in the product? That's, that's the number one thing. Why do you think we love, um, why do you think we love Tesla? Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for standing by and welcome to the Tesla first quarter 2021 results and Q&A website. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the presentation, there will be a question and answer session. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star zero. I will now hand the conference over to your speaker today, Martin Vieca, Senior Director of Investor Relations. Uh, thank you, Carmen, and good afternoon, everyone. And welcome to Tesla's first quarter 2021 Q&A webcast. I'm joined today by Elon Musk, Zachary Kirkhorn, and a number of other executives. Our Q1 results were announced at about 1 p.m. Pacific time in the update deck we published at the same link as this webcast. During this call, we will discuss our business outlook and make forward-looking statements. These comments are based on our predictions and expectations as of today. Actual events or results could differ materially due to a number of risks and uncertainties, including those mentioned in our most recent filings with the SEC. During the question and answer portion of today's call, please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Please press star one now if you would like to join the question queue. But before we jump into Q&A, Elon has some opening remarks. Elon? Uh, great, thank you. Uh, so. Q1 2021 was a record quarter on many levels. Uh, Tesla achieved uh, record production, deliveries, and surpassed a billion dollars in non-gap net income for the first time. Uh, and we've seen a real shift in customer perception of electric vehicles, uh, and our demand is the best we've, we've ever seen. So this is, um, we're, talking, we're used to seeing a reduction in demand in the first quarter, uh, and we saw an increase in demand. Uh, this is that that exceeded the, the normal uh, seasonal uh, reduction in demand in Q1. Um, so um, Model 3 became the best-selling mid-sized premium sedan uh, in the world. In fact, I should say the, the best-selling uh, luxury sedan of any kind uh, in the world. The the BMW 3 Series was for the longest time the best-selling premium sedan. Uh, it's been exceeded by the Tesla Model 3. And this is only three and a half years into production and with just two factories. Um, for Model 3 to be outselling its combustion engine competitors, I think this is quite remarkable. In the past couple of quarters, we delivered uh, roughly a quarter million Model 3s, so uh, which translates to an annualized rate of half a million per year. Uh, when it comes to, to Model Y, uh, we think Model Y will be the best-selling car or vehicle of any kind in the world, um, and probably next year. So um, I'm not 100% certain next year, but I think it's, it's quite likely. I'd say more likely than not that in 2022, Model Y is the best-selling car or truck of any kind in the world. Uh, and um, with regard to full self-driving, uh, full self-driving beta continues to make uh, great progress. But this is definitely one of the, I think one of the, the hardest technical problems that exists. Uh, that's maybe ever existed. And uh, really, in order to solve it, we, we, we basically need to solve a pretty significant part of, of artificial intelligence, uh, specifically real-world artificial intelligence. Um, 
and that 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 sort of AI the neural nets needs to be compressed into a fairly small computer, a very efficient computer that we've designed, but nonetheless, you know, a small computer that's using on the order of 70 or 80 watts. Um, so this is, I think, a much harder problem than if you were to use, say, you know, 10,000 computers in a, in a server room or something like that. Uh, this this has got to fit into a smallish brain. Um, and this, I think with, with the elimination of radar, we're finally getting rid of one of the, the last um, crutches. Radar was really, uh, it, it, it was making up for some of the shortfalls of vision, but this is not good. You actually just need vision to work. And when vision works, it works, it, it, it works better than the best human. Um, it's like having eight cameras. It's like having eyes in the back of your head, the sides of your head, and and three eyes at different focal distances looking forward. Um, this is, yeah, um, and, and processing it at a speed that is superhuman. This, this I, I, no, there's no question in my mind that uh, with a pure vision solution, uh, we can make a car that is dramatically safer than uh, the average person. So, but, but it is a hard problem because we are actually solving something quite fundamental about artificial intelligence. We're, we're, we're we basically have to solve real-world vision AI, um, and we are. So, um, and key to solving this is also having just a massive data set. So, um, just having um, well over a million cars on the road uh, that, are, that are collecting data from uh, very sort of corner case rare situations. Um, you know, sort of like a so many weird things in the world, like 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 a you know a, a truck carrying a truck, uh, or um, you know a um, you know, a car with a with one example is a, a car, an actual example, a car with a kayak on the roof, where the kayak has a little uh, a little weight dangling from the front of the kayak in front of the car. Um, and, and yet the car must ignore this uh, and just just look at the road. Um, so it, it's really quite quite tricky, um, but I am I am highly confident that we will get this done. So watch out for the kayaks. Uh, this this quarter, and I think we'll continue to see that a, a little bit in Q2 and Q3. Uh, so Q, Q1 was was had some of the most difficult supply chain challenges that we've ever experienced in the life of Tesla. Um, insane difficulties with uh, with supply chains, uh, with, with parts of, of over the whole range of parts. Um, obviously, people have heard about the the chip shortage. This is a this is a huge problem. Um, but then, you know, in, in addition to that, for, for example, we we um, uh, we had quite a bit of difficulty scale, scaling driving our production in China um, uh, because we were unable to get uh, critical engineers there because of, of COVID quarantine restrictions. So, uh, which meant that Tesla Worldwide was dependent on drive units uh, made at our factory in Nevada, Gig Nevada. Um, so that that was a 
very challenging situation. I think we're mostly out of that particular problem. But that's just those just two of, of many challenges. So the t- teams really did done an incredible job of dealing with uh, really severe supply chain shortages. Um, so let's see, with respect to the Model S and X, um, there, there were more challenges than expected in uh, developing the uh, Plaid Model S, or what's called the, the Palladium program, um, which is the, the new version of Model S and X, which has a revised interior um, and a new battery pack and new drive units uh, and new internal electronics. Um, and has, for example, a PlayStation 5 level uh, infotainment system. Um, there's just a, a lot of a lot of issues encountered. Um, ensuring that the new factory was as well super safe was, was quite hard because we're working more energy in a smaller space. Uh, so it took quite a bit of uh, of uh, development to ensure that the battery of, of the new SX uh, is safe. Um, and, and we're trying to get get all the details. Oh no! Did we lose them? The cars slowly uh, for the past few months, but we're we're just stacking them up in the yard and um, and, and and just making refinements to the cars that we built. Um, but we do expect um, to ramp uh, Model S production and start delivering them probably. Uh, next month. Um, so, um, and, and then to be in sort of fairly high volume production for the S in, in Q3 uh, and to start delivering the Model X in Q3 as well. So, um, I think as we, as we ramp up, I think probably the demand for the new SX will be quite high. Um, so, it's really just going to be a question of ramping supply chain and internal production processes so probably we're, we're like we're, we're going to aim to produce over 2,000 SX per week um, perhaps you know if, if we get lucky upwards of, of 2,400 or 2,500 um, per week this, this again is contingent on global supply chain issues which are just a lot of factors outside of our control here but but I, I do think we, these things will get sold so it's just a matter of time and, and then we'll be doing well over 2,000 uh, SX per week. Um, and it's, it's a great car. It, it actually costs us less to produce, a little bit less to produce, um, but it is a, a superior product. So in conclusion, there's, there's a lot to be excited about in 2021 and 22. Um, we're building factories as quickly, quickly as we can. Uh, both Texas and Berlin are, are progressing well. And um, we expect to have um, initial limited production from those factories this year uh, and volume production from Texas and Berlin next year. Um, at the same time, we are continuing to ramp production of Model Y in Fremont uh, and Shanghai. In the background, we're continuing work, development work on the semi, Cybertruck, uh, the Roadster, and other products. Uh, thanks uh, to everyone at Tesla who made this year a huge success. Uh, now, on to questions. Thank you very much. Uh, we have some remarks from Zachary Kirkhorn as well. Okay. Yeah, thanks, Martin. Thanks, Elon. So, congratulations to the Tesla team. 
on breaking multiple records in the first quarter of 21, as Elon had mentioned, which is typically the most difficult of the year for many reasons. To summarize the quarter, I think it's best understood by three key items. First, we successfully launched and began the ramp of Model Y in Shanghai, achieving positive gross margin in the first quarter of production and receiving a great reception from the market. Second, as Elon mentioned, although we began the production process for the Model S during the quarter, we had not yet begun customer deliveries. The reduction in Model S and X deliveries from Q4 to Q1 were a meaningful headwind to free cash flows and profit generation. For example, we incurred an estimated $200 million of direct P&L impact relating to this program in Q1, the majority of which is reflected in COGS, and that's before even considering the impact of lost revenue and profits as a result of the transition. And as, he mentioned, as Elon mentioned, we expect the first deliveries to begin shortly. Third, as we continue to work through the instability of the global supply chain, particularly around semiconductors and port capacities, while the Tesla team, in partnership with our suppliers, did tremendous work keeping our factories running, we did experience high expedite costs in the quarter, and they were also higher than they were in Q4, with some minor interruptions to production over the course of the quarter. But we believe that this landscape is improving, but it does remain difficult, and it's an evolving situation. If we double-click uh, within net income, auto gross margin, excluding credits, improves sequentially and year-over-year. This is in spite of the cost mentions for SNX and expedites and a reduction in global ASPs, as our cost structure as a company is reducing at an even faster pace. So as we look out over the course of the year, we feel optimistic about our gross margin strength, uh, particularly as some of these headwinds we're experiencing start to be resolved. They're implying profitability should be better. services and other better. margins, these have recovered and are trending towards profitability, aided by strength in the used car business, operational improvements in service, and additional service revenue opportunities that help absorb fixed overheads. On energy gross margins, these remained negative for a second quarter. This is driven by solar roof-related ramp costs and winter seasonality in the lease BPA business. But we continue to manage through a multi-quarter backlog on Powerwall. We're working as fast as we can to increase production, and this will aid in profitability of this business as those volumes increase. Uh, on operating expenses, these increased for Q1, uh, which is driven by our investments in technology and growth. In particular, for R&D, this includes the structural battery pack and 4680 cells, uh, investments in the new SNX, and um, our neural net and silicon investments. On the SG&A side, we're setting up infrastructure and support for both China and EMEA in anticipation of volume to come there. And as I've said before, our plans show that we remain on track for sustained industry-leading operating margins. Uh, Double-clicking on, on cash flows, we continue to generate positive free cash flows, and this was despite the significant working capital headwinds from SNX. Additionally, we are making progress reducing various forms of debt. We also invested $1.5 billion in Bitcoin during the quarter, then trimmed our position by 10%, which contributed to a small gain in our Q1 financials. Taking a step back, we've generated $8 billion in operating cash flows and $4 billion in free cash flows over the past four quarters. As we look forward, uh, our plans remain unchanged for long-term growth of 50% annually, and we believe we're on track to exceed that this year as we guided to last quarter. Uh, 
global demand remains meaningfully higher than production levels, and so we're driving as, as fast as we can to increase our production rates. As we think about Q2 and Q3, these quarters should largely be driven by execution on SNX, as we've discussed, continued ramp of Model Y in Shanghai, and the associated cost reductions of these programs. Um, and we expect profitability and cash generation to evolve over the course of the year in line with those improvements. And then as we get towards the end of the year, our story will pivot towards the launch and ramp of our newest factories in Austin and Berlin. So there's certainly no shortage of exciting things for us to work on and look forward to. Uh, thank you, and we'll open it up for questions. Thank you very much. And we'll first take retail questions from uh, Say uh, website. The first question is, how is Dojo coming along? Could Dojo unlock an AWS-like business line for Tesla over the next few years? Did we lose him again? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in here. So, you know, with with respect to Jojo... Actually, sorry, sorry, that guy, my apologies, I was on mute. <laughs> oh, go ahead, Elon. Um, so, um, yeah, I was just basically saying that uh, the... It, although, like, right now, people think of Tesla as... A lot of people think Tesla as a car company or perhaps an energy company. Um, I think long-term people will think of Tesla as much as an AI robotics company as we are a car company or an energy company. Um, I think we are developing one of the strongest hardware and software AI teams in the world. Um, certainly, we, we appear to be, be able to do uh, things with full self-driving that, that others uh, cannot. So, um, and if you look at the evolution of uh, our, of what technologies we developed, um, we developed them in, in order to solve the problem of self-driving. So we we couldn't find a powerful enough neural net and burns a computer, so we designed and and built our own. Um, the the software out there was 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 uh, really quite primitive for this task, and so we. Built a team from scratch, um, and um, and have been developing what we think is probably the most advanced real-world uh, AI in the world. Um, and then it sort of makes sense that this is kind of what needs to happen because the road system is designed for a neural net computer. Our brain, our brain is a neural net computer, uh, and it's designed. The, the entire road system is designed for vision with neural with a neural net computer, which is because it's designed for eyes in a brain. Um, and so if you have a system which has very good eyes, uh, you can see in all directions at once, you can see three focal points ahead or forward, uh, but it never gets tired. It's never t sort of texting. Um, it has redundancy um, and its reaction time is superhuman. Then it seems pretty obvious that, that such a system would achieve an extremely high level of safety far in excess of the average person. So that's that's what, what, we're, what we're doing. Um, then Dojo is kind of the training part of that. So um, because we're, we're, we have 
over a million cars. And, you know, perhaps, you know, next year we'll have 2 million cars in active use, um, providing vast amounts of video training data that then needs to be digested by, by a very powerful training system. Now, currently, we use uh, it's Tesla training software. So we have a lot of, we develop a lot of training software, uh, a lot of uh, labeling software to do, um, so to be able to do uh, surround video labeling, uh, which is quite tricky. Um, this means all eight cameras simultaneously at 36 frames a second per camera uh, labeling video over time. Um, there wasn't any tool that existed for this, so we developed our own labeling tool. Then taking it a step further, obviously the, you know, the, the holy grail is auto labeling. So now we're, we're getting quite good at auto labeling where we do, we do where, where the, the trainers train the training system um, and, and then the system auto labels the, the data and, and then the, the label, the human laborers just need to look at the labeling to confirm that it is correct and perhaps make edits. And then every time an edit is made, that further trains the system. So it's kind of like a flywheel that's just sort of spinning up. Um, and, and really the only way to do this is with vast amounts of video data. Um, so then we need to train this efficiently. So Dojo is really a, uh, it, it is a supercomputer optimized for neural net training. Um, we think Dojo will be probably an order of magnitude more efficient on, a, on say, I'm not sure what the exact right metric is, but say per frame of video, uh, we think it'll be an order of magnitude more cost efficient in hardware and in uh, energy usage per frame of video compared to a GPU-based solution or compared to the next best solution that we're aware of. Um, so then, then you know, possibly that could be used by others. Um, it does seem as though over time I mean, just as just an observation, I think basically just the fact that um, neural net-based computing or uh, you know uh, AI-based computing is a more and more of the compute stack. Um, we, we, conventional computing, computing is called perhaps heuristics-based uh, uh, computing um, is still going to be important, still going to be very important. Um, Here, but, baby. Uh, it will it, become, but, but neural net will become a, a bigger and bigger portion of um, of compute. Uh, so anyway, um, that was a long story, but I think, yeah, probably others will want to use it too, and we'll make it available. Thank you very much. Uh, let's go to the second question from uh, retail investors. Uh, the recent price changes on solar roof have been discouraging uh, for customers and investors. Could Tesla share more about solar roof challenges uh, and if uh, the outlook has, uh, has changed at all, uh, i.e. 1,000 uh, roofs per week? Yeah, uh, first of all, I should say that the, the demand for the solar roof remains strong. So despite uh, raising the price, the demand is still um, significantly in excess of our ability to uh, to 
meet the demand to, to install the solar roofs. So production is going fine, but, but we are choked at the installation point. Um, we, we did find that we, we basically made some significant mistakes in, uh, in assessing the difficulty of certain roofs, but the complexity of roofs varies dramatically. Some roofs are to be literally two or three times easier than other roofs. Um, so you just can't have a one-size-fits-all situation. Uh, if a roof has a lot of protuberances, um, or if the roof, or, or if the roof, uh, sort of uh, the core structure of the roof uh, is uh, is rotted out or is not not strong enough to hold the solar roof, uh, then the the costs can be two or can be double, sometimes three times uh, what we what our initial quotes were. Um, so in, in those cases, what we obviously offer to do is to you know, refund customers their deposit. Um, uh, and uh, but, but what we cannot do is is go and, and just lose a massive amount of money. Um, we, we just got to provide a refund of the of the deposit. Um, but but perhaps what is um, I think most important about the solar situation, which I tweeted about you know, this past week, is that we're shifting the whole uh, the whole sort of solar situation, so the solar power, basically solar plus battery situation, to there's only one product, basically, or there's, there's only one one configuration. Every house, we, we, we will not sell a house solar without a power wall. Um, the, that solar could either be solar retrofit, you know, with conventional panels put on a roof, or it can be the Tesla solar glass roof. Um, but in all cases, it will have the power wall too. Technically, this, this is it's actually power wall two uh, plus, if you will. Um, the, the plus refers to a higher peak power capability. Um, so uh, basically, all power walls made since roughly November of last year uh, have um, a lot more peak power capability than, uh, than, than, than the specification on the website. Um, the, it, it, they have about twice the the power capability, roughly. It depends on how you count power, but uh, about twice the about twice the, the, the peak power, and about you know, arguably twice the the, the steady state power of, of the specification of the website. The energy is the same, but the power is, is roughly double. Um, and uh, all installations, uh, so all installations will have the power wall, and the uh, the difficulty of the installation will will Dramatically, or the, the difficulty of the, the, the installation will will be will be much less. It'll be much easier because uh, the the power from the from the solar roof, solar glass roof, or the the solar panels will only ever go to directly into the power wall, and the power wall will only ever go between the utility mains, or between the utility of, and the and the the main power panel of the, of the house, uh, which means you never need to touch the main circuit breakers of the house. You, don't, you never need to touch the house circuit breakers. Effectively, almost every house therefore looks the same electrically instead of being a unique work of art and requiring uh, exceptional um, ability to rewire the main panel. So, uh, 
that this is extremely important for scalability. It's the, it's the only way to do it, really. Um, and th this also means that, that every uh, solar power wall installation, that the, 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 the house or farm or whatever the case may be, uh, will be will be its own utility. And so even if all the lights go out in the neighborhood, you will still have power. So that, that gives people energy security. Um, and we can also, in working with the utilities, uh, use the power walls to, to stabilize the overall grid. So let's say that there's a, uh, like if there was in Texas, there was, there was a, a peak power demand. And, and that peak power demand, because the grid uh, lacked the ability to buffer the power, uh, they had to shut down power. There's no power, no power storage, no good, no good form of power storage. However, with a whole bunch of power walls at houses, um, we can actually buffer the, 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 the power. So, if, so if, if the grid needs more power, we can actually then, um, with the consent, obviously, of the homeowner and, the, and, and in partnership with the utility, uh, we, we can then actually uh, release power onto the grid to take care of uh, peak power demands. So effectively, the power walls can operate as a giant distributed utility. This is profound. I'm not sure how many people will actually understand this, but this is extremely profound and necessary because we are headed towards a world where, uh, as, as we were just talking about earlier, where people are moving towards electric vehicles. This will mean that the, the power needs uh, in, in, at homes and businesses will increase Significantly, we will there will need to be a bunch more electricity coming somewhere. Um, in fact, if you go to full full renew, renewable electricity, we need about three times as much electricity as we currently have. It, it, that, so, uh, we, these are rough numbers, but you roughly need twice roughly need twice as much electricity if, if, if all transport goes electric, and then you need three times as much electricity if all heating goes electric. So basically, this is a prosperous future, I think both for, for Tesla and for the utilities. Because, and, and in fact, I think this will, this will be very, if, if this is not done, the utilities will fail to serve their customers. They won't be able to do it. They won't be able to react fast enough. Um, and we're gonna see more and more of, of what we see, see in California and Texas, of, of, of uh, people seeing brownouts and blackouts and utilities not being able to respond because that because of the, there's a massive change going on with the transition to electric transport and we're seeing more extreme weather events this is a recipe for disaster uh, so it is very important uh, to have uh, solar and batteries at the at the local level at the house uh, in addition it is important to have uh, large battery storage at the utility level um, so that uh, solar and wind which are the main forms of renewable electricity uh, can be that electricity can be stored because sometimes the wind doesn't blow, um, sometimes it blows a lot, uh, sometimes it blows too much, and sometimes it doesn't blow enough. Uh, but if you have a battery, you can store the energy and provide it, the energy to the grid as needed. The same goes for solar because obviously the sun does not shine at night, uh, and sometimes it is very cloudy. And so, uh, by having uh, battery storage paired with solar and wind. This is the long-term solution to a sustainable energy future. Um, and as I said, this really needs to occur both at the local level and at the utility level.
the if it doesn't occur at the, at the local level, what will actually be required is a, a massive increase in power lines, uh, in uh, power plants. Uh, so they have to put long distance, long distance and local power lines all over the place. They'll have to increase the size of the substations. Uh, it's a nightmare. This must occur. This, there must be solar plus battery. It's the only way. So, yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, and the next retail question is, Master of Coin, can you tell us anything about Tesla's future plans in digital currency space or when any such major developments might be revealed? Sure. Thanks, Martin. Um, so as I noted in our opening remarks and we've announced previously, so Tesla did um, invest $1.5 billion into Bitcoin in Q1, and then we subsequently sold a 10% stake in that. We also allow customers to make uh, de vehicle deposits and final vehicle uh, purchases using Bitcoin. And so where our, our Bitcoin story began, maybe just to share a little of the context here, um, Elon and I were looking for a place to store cash that wasn't being immediately used, uh, try to get some level of return on this, but also preserve liquidity. You know, particularly as we look forward to the launch of Austin and Berlin and uncertainty that's happening with semiconductors and uh, port capacity, being able to access our cash very quickly is super important to us right now. And, you know, there, there aren't many traditional opportunities to do this, or at least that we found and in talking to others that we could get good feedback on, particularly with yields being so low and without taking on additional risk or sacrificing liquidity. And, um, and Bitcoin seemed at the time, and, and so far has proven to be uh, a good decision, uh, a good place to place some of our cash that's not immediately being used for daily operations or, or maybe not needed till the end of the year, and um, be able to get some return on that. And you know, I, I think one of the key points that I want to make about our experiences in the digital currency space is that there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic here. You know, we're certainly watching it very closely at Tesla watching how the market develops, listening to what our customers are saying. But, you know, thinking about it from a corporate treasury perspective, we've been quite pleased with how much liquidity there is in in the Bitcoin market. So our, our ability to build our first position happened very quickly. Uh, when we did the sale later in March, we also were able to execute on that very quickly. And so as we think about kind of global liquidity for the business and risk management, uh, being able to get cash in and out of the markets is something that I think is exceptionally important for us. So we do believe long-term in the value of Bitcoin, so it is our intent to hold what we have long-term and continue to accumulate Bitcoin from uh, transactions from our customers as they purchase vehicles. You know, specifically with respect to things we may do, you know, th there are things that we're constantly discussing. We're not planning to make any announcements here. And we're watching this space closely. So when we're ready to make an announcement on this front, if there's one to come, you know, we'll certainly let you all know. They're planning something. Thank you. That was, um, and the fourth question from uh, retail investors is, uh, does Tesla have any proactive plans to tackle mainstream media's imminent, massive, and uh, deceptive uh, clickbait headline uh, campaigns on safety of autopilot or FSD, uh, perhaps specialty PR job of some sort? That question wasn't biased at all, huh? Uh, 
Uh, well, uh, I can, I'll take this one, guys. From, from the safety side, I continue to say, uh, say if you want to safety is driving yeah, point and all. Go ahead, Elon. I know. I think, if, 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 please go ahead. Uh, if, I think it's best worth just uh, going through the facts of the, uh, what, uh, I mean, specifically, there, there were, uh, there was an article regarding um, a, a tragedy where, where uh, there was a high-speed accident in, in Tesla, that, uh, and there was re really just um, extremely deceptive uh, media practice, practices where it was claimed to be autopilot, where this is completely false, uh, and those journalists should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, please go ahead, Lars. Yeah, thanks, Elon. So I was just saying we're, we're committed to safety in all our designs, and that's you know number one in what we do here. Um, regarding the crash in Houston specifically, we work directly with uh, the local authorities, NTSB and NHTSA, wherever applicable, and whenever they reach out to us for help directly on the engineering level and whatever else we can support. Um, in that vein, we did a, a, a study with them uh, over the past week um, to understand what happened in that particular crash. And what we've learned from that uh, effort was that auto steer did not and could not engage on the road condition that, uh, as it was designed. Uh, our adaptive cruise control only engaged when a driver was buckled and above five miles per hour. Um, and it only accelerated to 30 miles per hour over the distance um, uh, before the car crashed. Um, as well, uh, adaptive cruise control disengaged the car slowly to complete to a stop uh, when the driver's seatbelt was unbuckled. Through further investigation of the vehicle and the uh, accident remains, um, we inspected the car with NTSB and NHTSA and the local police and were able to find that the steering wheel was indeed deformed, so there must, leading to the likelihood that someone was in the driver, driver's seat at the time of the crash, and all seatbelts post-crash were found to be unbuckled. Um, we were unable to recover the data from the, the, uh, data, uh, the SD card at the time of impact, but the local authorities are working on doing that, and we await their report. Um, as I said, we, we continue to hold safety in a high regard and, 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 and um, look to improve our products in the future uh, through this kind of data and other uh, information from the field. Okay, uh, thank you very much. Uh, let's go to the next question from institutional investors. Uh, the first question is, uh, proponents of alternative grid storage technologies claim that lithium-ion is unsuited for long-term storage at scale due to vampire drain. Could 4680 uh, cells address this limitation? Is the limitation even relevant <laughs> for charging the energy equation? Um. Uh, yeah, I, just let me yep. jump in on the vampire drain. Yeah. drain. That's definitely not good you. a good uh, lithium ion cell self-discharges less than 0.001% of its energy per day. So it, it has, the vampire drain is maybe not separate. Whoa, that's huge. Yeah. <laughs> As mythical as vampires. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the challenge with seasonal storage is your value proposition drops from hundreds of useful full cycles per day, per year to less than maybe 10 or maybe even less than five cycles per year. Um, so it's just a different type of technology, you know, altogether that would make sense, given that it's more than an order of magnitude different use case. Dang, they killed yeah. Vampire Drain. I mean, we're Love that. Long way to go before we're dealing with seasonal technology uh, issues. Um, but certainly a way to deal with seasonal technology uh, would be to um, have 
uh, wind and solar um, growing on the side of more more southerly latitudes, um, and and uh, but but then across uh, a variety of longitudes. So essentially, like let's say in the U.S., for example, if there was uh, you know I'm not sure if you understand this, but you you can actually power the entire United States with just sort of a hundred, roughly a a hundred mile by hundred mile grid of solar. Um, sometimes people don't don't quite understand like well how much solar is needed to power the United States. Almost, almost nothing of the of the the required is true of, of almost a, any country in the world. Um, the solar incidence is a gigawatt per square kilometer. This is insane. Uh, in fact, if you took the clear area, just the the area, or uh, say for nuclear power plants, the area that is considered not usable uh, because a nuclear power plant is there. In most cases, if you just put solar there, it would generate more power than a, than the nuclear power plant. This is because they typically have pretty wide clear areas. Um, so uh, it really so, so and um, if you have say 25% efficient solar panels, um, and and then those are 80% efficient in, in how they're laid out, you're going to do about 200 megawatts per square kilometer. Uh, therefore, you know, five square kilometers is a gigawatt, which might be a typical sort of power plant. Um, it's, it's really not much area at all. And a lot of places can have wind and solar, same place. So, um, anyway, it's, it's entirely possible to power all of Earth with a small percentage of Earth's area. Um, and then to transmit that power uh, through um, high voltage DC lines. No new technology. No, no. Uh, you don't need like um, you know room temperature superconductors. This is a total, also another myth. Room temperature superconductors uh, almost irrelevant in my opinion. Almost irrelevant. <laughs> um, low cost, long distance power lines using copper or aluminum or just, very important. Um, so heating is I squared R. So that's current squared times time resistance. So as you increase voltage, uh, you can drop the current dramatically and drop the heating dramatically to the point where it is uh, of, of minor relevance. Like maybe you lose 5 to 7% uh, with a high voltage DC power line, something like that. Um, so I want to be clear, no physics is necessary, no new materials is necessary. We just need to scale this thing up. We have the technology exists today to to solve renewable energy. And some of people say, "Well, why don't we do it?" That's because the energy basis of the Earth is gigantic, super mega, insanely gigantic. So you can't just go and do a zillion terawatts overnight. You've got to build the, the production capacity for the cells, uh, for the battery cells, for the solar cells. You've got to put that into vehicles. You've got to put that into stationary storage packs. You've got to put that into solar panels and solar glass roofs. And you've got to deploy all this thing, all, all this stuff. But, but it is certainly the case that we can accelerate this. Um, and we should try to accelerate it. Um, and uh, the, the, the right thing to do, I think, from an economic standpoint, and I think almost any economist would agree, is to have a common tax 
um, just as we have a tax on um, cigarettes and alcohol, uh, which we think are more likely to be bad than good, and we, we love that analogy. Fruit, fruit and vegetables less. Well, the same should be true. We should we should tax energy that we think is probably bad, and support energy we think is probably good, just like cigarettes and alcohol versus fruits and vegetables. Um, it's just common sense. Um, and, uh, you know, but I guess on the plus side, I'm not suggesting anyone be complacent, but sustainable energy, renewable energy will be sold. It is being sold, but it matters how fast we solve it. And if we solve it faster, that's better for the world. Thank you very much. There's no question in my mind whatsoever that the energy storage problem can be solved with lithium-ion batteries. Zero. I want to be clear. Zero. Um, I, I think the bias will tend to be uh, towards um, iron-based uh, lithium-ion cells. When people say lithium-ion, people think lithium must be a, a, a big constituent of the cells. It, it's, it's more like 1% to 2% of the cell is lithium. Um, the, the, the main part of the cell is the cathode. The, the main mass and cost in the cell is the cathode. For high-energy uh, cells, um, like, for example, we, what we use in most uh, most cells have, have nickel-based lithium-ion cells, which have higher energy density, longer range, than iron-based cells. However, stationary storage, uh, the energy density is not as important because um, it's just sitting on the ground. And so uh, I think the vast majority of stationary storage will be uh, iron-based iron, iron -based, um, lithium-ion cells with an iron, cap, iron, uh, iron phosphate cathode, technically. But I think the phosphate part is unnecessary. It's really just iron or nickel. Um, unnecessary in the terminology. I just, just think of it as iron or nickel. Uh, and this, there's an, an insane amount of iron in the world. Uh, more iron than we could possibly use. Uh, and there's also more lithium than we could possibly use. Basically, there is no shortage of anything whatsoever in iron plus bait lithium-ion cells. Thank you very much. Uh, let's go to the next question uh, from Mr. Dushan. Thanks for the history lesson, is, Milan. Uh, you or suggested the science that between lesson, sorry. A, a 5x to 10x improvement is achievable in the automotive production versus the uh, uh, versus the first Model 3 line on the first uh, principles physics analysis. Uh, where does Berlin sit? Where does Berlin sit relative to that limit? Oh, I think we're still, we're still quite far away from it. Um, I mean, the, the thing to bear in mind with with production is, uh, for those who have not, who've never done production, they just don't understand how insanely hard production is. Um, I'll, I, I want to really be very, very emphatic here. Prototypes are trivial. They're child's play. Production is hard. It is very hard. Now you say production at, at, at very at large scale with higher liability and low cost, insanely difficult. What, what Tesla achieved on the automotive side was not to create an electric car. The, the truly profound thing on the, on the car side is that Tesla was the first American car company to achieve volume production of a car in 100 years and not go bankrupt. So it's not wrong. This is this, this, 
this I, I basically myself and many others at Tesla had to basically have several aneurysms to get this done. It was it was so hard. You have no idea. So anyway, and, and the thing about making a large complex manufactured object is, let's say you have first order approximation, 10,000 unique items. If even one of those items is slow, that sets your weight. Just one. Doesn't matter how so trivial. We've we've had uh, production production stop because of carpet in the trunk. We had production stop because of a USB cable. At one point for the model S, the, we literally raided every uh, electronics store in the Bay Area <laughs> for for a few days there. Nobody could buy a USB cable in the Bay Area because we we, we went and bought them all to put them in the car. Um, <laughs> literally, and there's there's like hundreds of stories like that. So anyway, that, that's the solving that those constraints and 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 a, and a logistics problem that makes World War II look trivial. I, I'm not kidding. Like the scale is insane. Um, it's a dangerous analogy. You know, we're talking millions of cars, supply, massive global supply chain, um, 50 countries, uh, dozens of regulatory regimes. Um, it's insane. So, yeah. Thank you. Uh, and the last question from institutional investor is um, Master Plan uh, Part 2 talks about an urban transport vehicle that is smaller than traditional bus with greater uh, aerial density achieved by removing the central aisle. Do you have any updates to share on this goal? Not at this time. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, so let's uh, move to analyst Q&A. Thank you. First question is from Pierre Ferrago with New Street Research. Your line is open. Uh, hi, guys. Thanks a lot for taking my question. Um, I'd love to get actually an update on what you, you presented on the battery day. Uh, in the last six, seven months, I, won't, I was wondering how much progress you've made uh, on that front, first in terms of process development. So how are things coming together on your pilot line? Are you getting to the kind of... Uh, production throughput you were aiming for, and, and second, actually, on your production ramp. So I was wondering in, in which sites you're ramping production capacity for the, the 4680 cell, uh, and, and where you stand uh, on, uh, on ramping up that capacity as well. And I'll have a quick follow-up on energy as well, if that's possible. Well, um, so we're, we're, we have the, and could add to this, but we, we have the, the, the our small sort of pilot plant, which is still big by normal standards. Expect to have like a 10 gigawatt per year, gigawatt hour per year capability uh, in um, Fremont, California. Um, and uh, we've made quite a few cells. Um, we're not we're not quite yet at the point where we think the cells are re reliable enough to be shipped in cars. Um, but we're getting close to that point, um, and um, and then we're, we're, we've already, uh, you know, uh, ordered um, most of the equipment for battery production 
uh, in Berlin, uh, and, uh, and then and, and then Madrid for Austin as well. Um, so we're, we're really down to like the nitty gritty elements. Um, but overall, I think we're still sort of quite optimistic about uh, this achieving volume production of the 4680 next year. Yeah, okay. yeah, thank you. Uh, just one thing I would add is there's been a lot of questions about uh, yields. Actually, I noticed people asking about that. And, uh, you know, the yield progress has been really strong uh, every day. And we were really still in commissioning phase. We were really still in commissioning phase with most of the tools. Uh, to the point where we're confident that the yield trajectory aligns with our internal cost projections. Um, we did talk about yield also at Battery Day, which is one of the reasons why it's useful to check in on that. Um, you know, it takes a while, as Elon just mentioned, to go from uh, prototype to production. And it's not just parts, it's processes, it's equipment. Um, but as we've matured those pieces of the process, the process equipment, we've, we've gotten to where we need to be on, on the yield side. Yeah, and basically, this is just a guess because we don't know for sure, but it appears as though we are about 12, probably not more than 18 months away from volume production of the 4680. Um, now, at the same time, we, we are actually trying to have our, our sales supply partners uh, ramp up their supply as much as possible. So this is not... Uh, something that is to the exclusion of suppliers, it is in, in conjunction with suppliers. Um, so yeah. we're, you know, we're, we want to be super clear about that. This is not about replacing suppliers; it is about supplementing uh, the suppliers. So um, we have a very strong partnership with with CATL, with Panasonic, and LG. Um, and we would our request to our um, strategic partners for sales supply is. Please make as please supply us with as as much as you possibly can. Um, provided the, the price is affordable, we will buy uh, everything that they can make. Yeah, yeah, and specific to that, we've we're on track to more than double the supplier capacity over the next 13. Yeah, we, we, we exactly we, we do expect from suppliers willing to. Receive double the cell output next year versus this year. Yep. Okay. And I had a quick follow up on um, um, maybe Zach for you on your energy business. So I understand uh, like the negative gross margin with uh, solar roof uh, RAM, but I was wondering, you know, what do gross margin look like there when you look at the storage business and where are you, your, what's your ambition in terms of gross margin in the uh, in that business, as I guess it's going to grow uh, to grow in the mix in uh, in coming years, so it's uh, it's important for long term modeling. Yeah, we're we're seeing yeah. a lot of. Oh. Uh, uh, we're aiming for comparable margins in storage as in as in vehicle, um, but but it is important to bear in mind that vehicle is more mature than the storage, so. Uh, we, we already are at good margins with the power wall, um, but some additional work is needed for the mega pack to achieve good margins. Yeah, Drew, what do you think? Thank you. Yeah, I, I, sorry, just jumping in, Elon. Absolutely agree. Yeah, uh, power wall is mature. We've been producing 
Powerwall too for three years now, and and we're at good margins there. But Megapack has more room to go to achieve our targets. So we have a we have a clear runway for improving the the cost for the megawatt hour of the Megapack. Absolutely, yes, we do. Thank you. Let's go to the next question, please. From Rod, from Rod Lackey with Wolf Research. Please go ahead. Hi, everybody. Um, I was hoping maybe just first you could talk a little bit about um, how you're thinking about the rollout of version 9 of FSD and uh, the transition to the subscription model. It, it sounds like some some of this is about to roll out next month. I'm not sure if that's the subscription model, but uh, maybe you could just uh, spend a little time talking about how impactful you, you expect that to be. Go ahead, guys. Yeah, we're working on um, getting FSD subscription out. There's a couple of internal technical dependencies, but from a business model perspective, that's aligned, and we're hoping to roll that out soon. The, the key thing that I say here, um, there, there's a lot of potential for recurring revenue based on an FSD subscription. Um, the if you look at the size of our fleet and you look at the number of customers uh, who did not purchase FSD up front or on a lease and maybe want to experiment with FSD, this is a great option for them. Um, you know, One of the things we'll need to keep an eye on is a potential transition from cash purchases of FSD subscription over to or cash purchases of FSD who may move over to FSD subscription. And so there could be a period of time in which you know, cash reduces in the near term, and then as the portfolio of subscription customers builds up, then that becomes um, a pretty strong business for us over time. Uh, but we're hoping to get this launched pretty soon and um, and see what the response is to it. So he's talking about okay, people uh, not fronting great. 10 grand um, up front exactly and then doing like a $500 a month or something. Um, there was a 50, noticeable increase, like $200 even including uh, SBC. Uh, obviously, a lot going on this quarter, but can you maybe just talk a little bit about how we should be thinking about that uh, going forward? It's a little boring accounting sure. question. Sure. Um, on the R&D side, you know, what we're seeing, as I mentioned in my opening remarks, is um, kind of a convergence of a series of programs that are happening. And, and our R&D OPEX spend kind of correlates to where we are in the product life cycle on different programs. And so we're, you know, kind of at the tail end of investments in uh, what we call internally Palladium, which is the new Model S and Model X. And uh, and so we expect that to decrease over time, but uh, it was high in Q1 uh, for a lot of the reasons that Elon had mentioned. You know, we're also getting very heavy into 4680 development that Drew and team are working on and the associated structural battery pack that goes along with that. And so these are new technologies, uh, not only new to Tesla, but new to the industry. And so we're investing heavily there on an R&D side to work out those kinks. And you know, spend along along in those areas, you know, should continue over time as we continue to work through the development cycle of those. Um, and then I also mentioned, you know, Elon talked a bit about you know Dojo and the and the potential there. So, from neural net investments and custom silicon investments, these continue to be areas that we spend on and make investments in. I don't think R and D spends um, going down. On the SG&A side, uh, you know, the business is pivoting very quickly to be global. And uh, China is ramping quite quickly. And, and we're trying to 
make sure that we are staying ahead of the volume so that we have the right sales capacity, store capacity there, uh, local investments in IT and others to manage the growth, such that as the growth comes, the execution challenges are smaller than maybe in similar periods of growth that we've seen in the past. And uh, and so we're making investments there ahead of the growth. And, and overall, as we look at OPEX as a percentage of revenue over the course of the year, we do expect to see a substantial drop from 2020 to 2021 as the volumes in the latter part of the year pick up. Thank you. Let's go to the next question, please. Thank you from Dan Liebe with Credit Suisse. Your line is it's open. It's a long call. Hi. Uh, good evening. Thanks. Um, two, two questions. Uh, one is, is on COGS. I think we've gotten from Battery Day a pretty good feel about the potential for COGS reduction related to powertrain, but I'd like to get a sense of the path to reducing COGS X powertrain is uh, you'd still need a meaningful reduction on that front uh, to make the math work on a $25,000 vehicle. So what levers do you have to reducing your cost X powertrain? Is it just more scale, better supplier pricing, or is it just based on ongoing cost reductions? Uh I mean, I think uh, all of the above. Yeah, I mean, on, on the on the vehicle side, there's plenty of opportunity as well. Obviously, building a car like a Model S is quite complex and has various moving parts. Model 3 and Model Y were steps of improvement in that. But when you look at some of the other advancements that we're including in the Model Y factories into Austin and Berlin, uh, we've reduced the body part count by as much as 60% and the part cost money. So um, we continue to find optimizations there as well as we get economies of scale. When we start to talk about the volumes, we're considering worldwide with four factories building the same vehicle. Um, so both of those things uh, on the vehicle side will improve our COGS as well, and, and the powertrain continues to be integrated into that. So the question was, great. they and don't believe related, that you can cut you know, enough costs out. Uh, Berlin and, and Austin ramp, I'd, I'd like to just get a sense on the comparison of Fremont versus the new capacity. Obviously, Fremont's non-optimized because you bought, uh, you know, the old NUMI facility. You had to retrofit that to your needs. He's asking about these two numbers. Maybe you can give us a sense of how uh, your new capacity is going to differ versus Fremont. What are the areas that you have efficiencies that you previously didn't have? And maybe, you know, how much does that add up to uh, improved COGS uh, over time to help you achieve that $25,000 vehicle? Uh, yeah, I don't think we, we don't want to talk too much about um, future product development. Uh, earnings calls are not not the right place for um, yeah, to make, make make major product announcements. Elon's getting cranky. So it's, yeah, <laughs> we, we'll get there, but we'll we'll talk about it later. All right. Thank you very much. Unfortunately, <laughs> this is all the time we have for today. Thank you very much for dialing in and for listening. And we'll speak to you again in about three months. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Oh, man. Please he was today's conference call. ready to get off of that call. Well, thank you so much, you guys and, and girls. Uh, that was really fun. Uh, that was a long earnings call. Usually, uh, you know, an hour and a half uh, or I guess a full hour is, is a long time. You could tell Elon was getting very, very tired at the end of that.
I think my big takeaways, uh, for those of you that missed it up at the top of this, this, uh, you know, before the call went, uh, started, we, we went over the earnings release, uh, across the board on revenue and, and EPS slash profit. They actually beat expectations. Uh, yet, you know, they, it wasn't a big beat, but it was a beat nonetheless. And the stock is down over 2% after hours. Again, who knows, right? Like I think after hours trading is just choppy. Um, and maybe folks were just expecting for a much bigger beat. So, you know, on this channel, we are not people to, we're not investors to go like pull our hair over little beats and misses. Uh, we like to think of things at least on like a four to eight quarter type of range. And I, and just generally all signs point to just, they're really grinding out the work. Um, they're in the trenches building these, uh, building capacity. Q1 is always the toughest quarter for an auto dealer, uh, auto manufacturer plus COVID plus, um, you know, and regardless, it's like, it shows you how high the expectations really are for Tesla stock, um, that, uh, that they printed a quarter of 75%, 74% growth year over year. Uh, and people still, and the stock is still down, right? So that's why we're very careful around Tesla, uh, you know, for the Royal community at a couple cents.com because, you know, we, we, I love the business. It's very, very close to a business. I would just want to own through ups and downs. Uh, but the, the popularity of the stock is always really, really high. And, and we generally run away from the herd, right? We, when, the, when, every, when folks are uh, ebullient, we are fearful. And when, when other folks are fearful, we're, uh, I guess, greedy, right? Um, so, but I mean, I think they're really executing. Uh, Elon, you know, I've actually, I was on a uh, earnings call with Elon Musk and I was giddy back in 2014, I believe. Before everyone everyone was obsessed about Tesla, I was obsessed about Tesla back then. I was in I was at a hedge fund, a very big one, and I was on an early or I was on a uh, conference call with him, and he was very clearly not having it. He hate he's always hated Wall Street. So if these calls are usually the more boring ones, like battery days when he really cares, and I agree with him, right? Like like he he tr like the, his team is truly focused on innovating and selling, get, getting the product right, and getting and being focused on the product, um, versus like talking about gross margins like he's like we're gonna like his whole thing is we're gonna get we're gonna save costs and get more more valuable and more uh, profitable and you know for a company like that who has such a dominant uh, product on multiple fronts um, still like him and honestly at, at, in the low 700s you know I, I, I'm, I'm I think this is a thousand dollar stock before too long and the question is do you think that the re the reward of Possibly three hundred dollar upside, maybe a 33 percent upside on base case. Do you think that that's worth the risk and the volatility in this market? In a generally, um, in a generally like uh, bullish market, I think it's a generally reopening bullish market. And uh, you know, we're getting close. We're getting close. You know, and you know, early on on the big board, we had owned Tesla stock for a long time. And we only sold out of it when it was like at feverish frenzy, right? Where we get really scared of, uh, of, uh, of owning something. And so, you know, I think now is starting to get to the time where I would very much consider buying it, at least in solidarity to what I think is a generational compounding company. Now the valuation took away a lot of the upside, but it's still, I mean, I, I know it's a $700 billion company, but I think, 
I think, uh, yeah, I think it'll be a trillion dollar company before too long. Uh, and you know, and I believe in their execution. I believe in their execution. Um, a couple takeaways. I think that blows my mind that I got to go. Um, I got to go, uh, like think about is their dojo, right? So if you missed that or you came in late, they talked about their dojo supercomputer in the, basically the whole system where they're taking like so much data, so much driving video data and building a machine learning neural net, uh, AI self-driving on. And this is exactly how Amazon developed the business line that contributes hundred percent of their profits. AWS is they were so early, they were, they needed to build out their own servers to really handle Amazon as a company. And they just built out a bunch of capacity and then they just started renting out extra capacity. And that's what we call Amazon web services now. So in a similar sense, these Tesla is, is on the forefront of developing the most sophisticated kind of uh, neural net AI computing, probably with Google, or I guess right with Google. And if they're building out their capacity for themselves, will this be like AWS? Uh, will this be like machine learning as a service? And they would have to, uh, they would have to kind of, I don't know, like compete against Alteryx maybe? But Tesla's pro Tesla has more resources than a company like Alteryx. So, I mean, yeah. So Sahit is uh, Sahit. You're saying uh, you studied this, and the topic is way too overhyped. I mean, yeah, maybe. Um, it's interesting because you know the company that I work for, uh, we do uh, we have some machine learning stuff in our um, in our kind of data science product. I mean, it's nothing too sophisticated. Um, but yeah, I, don't, I mean, we don't, I don't, we don't use our Alteryx and we, it's, there's some tools out there. So on the ground, it doesn't seem like game changing. And that's why we haven't owned like AI stocks. They're just too hyped up for us. Uh, but it's interesting, right? There's just, like Tesla as a company will transform meaningfully in the future. And Tesla in 10 years is going to be so different from Tesla today, as long as, Right, I, but I do think that there's key man risk if Elon is so critical to the business. Um, you know, there's a lot of risks here, and it's a very volatile stock. So, is it the best investment I see out there? Probably not. But for those for those people that own it, is this a sell? Absolutely not. Like I actually think it's a light buy rating from Justin. So I'm gonna, I've I've dedicated to start doing quick ratings, and so my quick rating on Tesla is a, is a is a quick attractive. Now the risk reward may not be quite as uh, as juicy as some of the other opportunities we see out there. But like you know, when we did our analysis, the the kind of the stock one that we put in our uh, DCF calculator. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Roic, Roic is a cool, uh, it's the best investor community we're building, uh, providing so much content and tools. Uh, we are uh, this is the my DCF that I just put kind of dummy numbers in, but I mean reasonable numbers if you believe that they're transformative. And they believe they're going to do 50% growth over a multi-year period on average. And I put less than that. You know, it's a $1,000 stock. I mean, so that's that. And then, you know, going to keep up these uh, these quick ratings going forward and going to track them on the website too. So you don't have to always go into our, our live streams. But um, as for me, they did sell off 10% of their Bitcoin, but it didn't sound like they were uh, any less bullish or enthusiastic about it. 
it sounds like it was just treasury management uh, selling stuff off, selling Bitcoin off for liquidity. Um, they kind of brushed over it, but they 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 are continuing to invest in the crypto like their cryptocurrency capabilities. And one like hopefully before mid mid year, so within like eight to ten weeks, I want to do a YouTube video where you guys see me buy. Uh, a Tesla with some Bitcoin. And I think that'd be really fun because I'm in the market for Tesla anyway. And I have a bunch of Bitcoin anyway, so I might as well just make some content about it. I'll have to figure out my like cap gains taxes and stuff like that. But um, so as for me, I'm going to look for that. Uh, maybe you know, someone in the chat convinced me to maybe put in the pre-order for the Cybertruck for a hundred bucks. Maybe I'll make a video on that too at some point when I can get my head above water. Um, yeah, but oh, another thing to, to summarize is uh, they also were very coy about like the whole crypto aspect of things. Um, yeah. And so for those of you saying like, oh, appreciating, depreciating assets, like I'm in the market anyway. And if I didn't buy the Tesla, I, I would just buy Bitcoin. So the, so the, like the trade-off is for fun, I'm going to use Bitcoin to buy Tesla, but I'm going to use cash to buy Bitcoin. So don't worry. I'm not, Yeah. I think I know finance. I think I know the theory. Um, but yeah, so they were really coy around their like crypto. They like it seems like they're working on something behind the scenes regarding like Bitcoin or regarding cryptocurrency purchases or something. So keeping my eye on that, keeping my eye on that, keeping my eye on the Dojo stuff. Earnings are are well well predicted today. Boring. It was really boring. So generally pretty boring. So. Uh, thanks for sticking around for an hour and a half and I appreciate you all. And, uh, I will, uh, see you, um, Thursday at the very latest for, or sorry, Wednesday, we just switched it up Wednesday for our typical night nighttime live streams, weekly live streams where we just cover a bunch of stocks a la, uh, mad money style. So thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day and until next time, happy investing.